You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Podcast Detroit. This is Liz Reach, your resident guru. I am here today with my good buddy Jules, who was here just a couple weeks ago. Jules, how are you? Great. How did you like your first time here on the show? I loved it. Um, I felt like I felt like I was famous. It was fun. <laughs> oh yeah, we'll go with that. That's cool, right? I know it's really fun. It is. It's a good time, and it's a lot to talk about, and it's. It's very informative and helpful for others in our position, right? So uh, right now today, hello, Jessica. How are you, love, love? Hello. Good. How are you? (laughs) That's my engineer. Good to see you, sweetheart. Um, Today we're going to be talking about some interesting subject matter. This includes the holidays, addiction, relapse, suicide, um, overdose, D, all of the above. And how to really avoid a lot of that. Because there's a lot of problems with people who um, think they've got it all together. They think they've done really well. They really think they've got the program handled. They think that they have their recipe for success. And a lot of times it's thwarted around the holidays. That's why we see such an increase in suicide and relapse. And um, that can be really detrimental to the patient and to the family. Um, people feel that uh, all the work that they've done towards their sobriety is thrown out the window and they have to start all over again, which I would like to get rid of that stigma and try to not beat yourself up so bad and just keep moving. But there's a lot that goes along with it. So we're today we're going to try to offer a lot of information that will help you to stay on the, pace, on the path, to stay sober, to stay focused on what you need to do, and the different persons, places, things, and signs and signals that we overlook a lot of times that we think we have conquered that can really be um, a setback for us. So um, that is our goal today, Jules, and I really want to help fill you in on what to do over the holiday season because um, we've just built them up so much to be these mm-hmm. incredible events that need to go down and everybody's got to be super happy and upbeat and it's got to flow right and, yeah. you know, incense and peppermint and all <clears> that <throat> good fun stuff. And in reality, a lot of holidays aren't like that unless you choose to make them that way. Um, I'm quickly going to read a disclaimer. The information in the podcast is for educational purposes only and is not meant to replace treatment or diagnosis by a qualified mental health professional, which is me, Liz, life guru. And we are here to help you today. Um, so, if I'm thinking about my own journey in sobriety 17 years later, um, I'm thinking about if the holidays were really difficult for me. For some people it is. For some people it is not. I was actually in Arizona when I first got sober. And everybody was still drinking, but um, I think my family drank more than the people I was with, like my husband and his family. And that would be more of a trigger for me. I mean, cocktail hour for my mother and I, Irish Catholic family, like we were talking about, six o'clock, get the lemons out. Four (laughs) o'clock, 1 p.m., noon. (laughs) Sure, it gets earlier and earlier as it goes, right? Um, Was definitely, I think that would have been more of a trigger. 
I think now, if I'm really being honest, you know, because I go out to the bars, you and I were just talking mm-hmm. about this, you go out to bars with mm-hmm. your husband and so forth, and because you're having dinner or whatever it may be, or being an unfit mother. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> Hey, now. <laughs> hey, I was just joking around. Jules dragged her poor little son out to the bar for dinner. Uh, let me clarify. It was late. We were at like an outdoor festival and on the way home, we were really hungry. Yeah. But it was like um, midnight. And on the way home, I'm like, oh my God, we are the worst parents ever. And I felt like we were getting those looks like, who has their kid here at midnight? I'm like, um, me. <laughs> and I, yeah, me. That, that would be us. He was really well behaved, though. Like, oh, he's a good boy. <laughs> yeah, a good you know boy. what? I think that's hilarious. So you got to laugh about that kind of stuff. I mean, we think these kids are just so, you know, fragile and God forbid their schedule's disrupted. They're just going to go to yeah. pieces and hell in nope. a handbasket. But you know what? I remember lots of times when I was still out with my mom. Oh, my God. Falling asleep in the booth of the bad. Golden Lion. Too bad. You're tired. Buck it up. Like they don't care. I'm having fun. For sure. Do you remember when you were? I I distinctly remember as if it was yesterday. My mother, God love her. She was the greatest woman. But I remember her going, "You stay upstairs. I'm having a party downstairs. She would be having people over for dinner, or whatever. If I see your face, come down those stairs. Man, and like, I will come down and put on shows for everybody. I'd be like, Can I sing you guys a song? Okay, <laughs> I did do that. I did do that, Fran. You'll remember my sister Fran. Uh-huh. I used to do that. I used to dance on the black tile in front of the fireplace (laughs) and i would do a little soft shoe a little singing a little swan lake yeah stuff like that but definitely i would peek down the stairs and just like glance that's when you were like disciplined yeah really hard right i mean jackson would never he'd be like mom i'm coming to the party (laughs) yeah for sure but i would like glance around the corner and say can i just like have water or (laughs) a potato chip anything get back up there Um, but that's like how it was. A joke in our family. When I was in fourth grade, I broke my arm. So I was yeah. out riding bikes with my friend, uh, like, I don't know, four or five. It was probably like five o'clock in the evening, summer day, you know. Yeah. And um, I fell off my bike and I had to, like, walk my bike all the way home with, like, this sure. very hurt yes. arm. It was my wrist. And we walked in and my parents were having cocktails on the porch with their friends who happened to be a doctor. Uh-huh. So I like walk up and I'm crying and I'm like – and the doctor looks at it and he goes, oh, yeah, it's broken. My mom's like, OK, well, we'll finish our cocktails. <laughs> like that's a real story. They finished their cocktail. And now when I – when we joke about the story now, she said, well, that's because we knew that he was a doctor. And when we went to the hospital, he'd get us right in. And I remember sure. – I remember being like, finish yeah. it. I am hurt over here. But like, it won't be an emergency. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. I know. Times are a whole lot different, aren't they? Yeah. But that's okay. You know what? Those were good times. Those are really good times in my life. Well, and I also had the experience this weekend to realize like, and like, no judgment, but what a different parent I am because I don't drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, because... I, it makes me I'm I'm a different person because that's not part of my life. You yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. Um, it's you know everything. Of course, you're a different parent. Do you think you're more paranoid or not? Um, yeah, pro- well, yeah, probably a little. I've mellowed, but like, oh my god, when Jax was a baby, I would like be like it would keep me up awake at night thinking about like, oh my god, I fed him something out of a can. <laughs> yeah, the, you sure. know, I'm not. I let all that stuff go. But yeah, sure. I used to be really like sure. high strung about. Yeah, stuff. I see how um, overly um, worried parents get um, about. Uh, what, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble with my ears right now. <laughs> She's fixing me. Yeah, um, just a little louder. Thank you. All right, that, that's fine. That's fine. Thank you. Um, anyways, uh, technical difficulties. 
here in showbiz, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, so it's hilarious. I love doing this. So it's a blast. Absolutely. <laughs> Superstar. Okay. So let's get to it. Okay. All right. Okay. So one of the things I was mentioning to you and we were talking about earlier. Uh, okay. So I, I do believe that there are certain, certain degrees of mental, uh, uh, what do I want to say? Degrees of where your your brain is overly attached to a drug. Okay. okay. Something that grabs on just a little harder that is just a total fuck. Okay. okay. And that's what crack cocaine is. Yeah. Which was your drug of choice. Yeah. Now, I see this methamphetamine exactly was the same way. Yeah. Right? Uh, a lot of people – and heroin I is no he- less. Yeah. I would think heroin's the same way. Yes. But you know what? Crack and meth seem to be even worse if you can even imagine that. I mean there's the physical – the physical, for sure, mm-hmm. with heroin. That is a huge right, problem. Right. And that feeling of, like my patients used to say, warm honey, you know, coming yeah. down, that, that, that wonderful feeling. But, but meth and crack seem to, and t- tell me if I'm wrong, have some degree of, a, because there really isn't a detox, is there, from it? No, it's, it's, it's more mental. Of a, it's a mental, mental detox, for That's sure. what I'm talking about. So explain a little bit about what that's like mentally, because that's why there's so much relapse on crack cocaine. And a lot of people do not think there's any hope. That they can never right, get past that. Right. I do think that there is that, that stigma attached to it. And I mean, I definitely thought that there was no hope. I could not imagine my life without crack cocaine once I started doing it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so let's see. How do I talk about that? Well, first of all, I think the funny thing is people would say, like, when I say that I could spend $1,000 in a night yeah. easily. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I didn't have $1,000, but sure. I found a way to spend it. I mean, I would spend my entire paycheck. You know, yeah. I talk about at the end of my using... I was in a relationship where we were stealing money, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's where that's where drugs and alcohol took me. So I don't mind talking about it. I'm I'm really not ashamed of it. Like, do I mm-hmm. wish I could take it back? I mean, of I don't like that I hurt people. Yeah, like so. Of course. Um, but we, you know, we went through about thirty thousand dollars in about thirty days. So, yeah. like, what does that tell? And it was yeah. mostly on on crack mm-hmm. cocaine, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, people are like, "Oh, I thought crack was cheap." Mm-hmm. Well, it might be cheap for like a little tiny amount but a little tiny amount will never do you like that's just enough to piss you off like well, if you go well, get- for sure now let me inter- interrupt real quick now it does if i'm correct is the buzz only lasts for about 10 or 15 minutes right if that if I mean, that if okay. that um right. and now i mean i don't know I, I i guess along my way i met people who could do it differently than i did for me once i sat down i was just gonna whether i was high or not i was just gonna keep going until like i couldn't go anymore yeah I, like yeah. that's why i'm very surprised that I never like died because I yeah. had no like slow down button. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know if most people do. I don't, I mean, I, I definitely would ha- had hung out with people who didn't do as, you know, as crazy as I was about mm-hmm. it. You know, mm-hmm. people would be like, honey, like you're not going to get any higher. Like just slow down. Right. Sure. Sure. Um, but it is that thing that will make you do, I mean, anything. Like I will drive across town if I know there's $20 and, you know, a coat pocket of somebody I once knew in Toledo. I probably would be on the road to like yeah. go to Toledo and I'm not proud of that. But like, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought I would be a thief, but I was a thief. I mean, if you sure. passed out in my car 
if you were drunk, uh, your wallet is now mine. Because mm-hmm. especially if I think that you might not remember in the morning. Like if I think you were drunk enough to not remember that you had 20 bucks. Well, left, yeah, fine. yeah, for sure. And, you know, um, with a lot of my heroin addicts, because, you know, they, they kind of go together, crack and heroin. Usually mm-hmm. there's they're using a combo of a yeah. lot of different for me, things. For me, not so much. But, yeah. yeah. But with my heroin addicts, um, you know, the one of the stark, harshest realities is that a lot of people that were using heroin sitting across the table from somebody else while they were using drops dead. They take their shit. Yeah. They t- yeah. You know, they're like, that's some good stuff. Yeah. Which is some craziness, Crazy. right? But Crazy. that is where this all takes you because mm-hmm. once again, like we talked before, the frontal lobe is so distorted, your decision, decision making area that you can't make a clear or wise decision for yourself. Mm-hmm. You're just going on primal animal instincts. It's like mine now. I'll right. take, I'll, right. I, whatever, I, I must need have, right. you know, right. and, and that's what sets you over into the edge of just, you know, it's a free for all, right? you know, Lord of the flies. Right. But the weird thing is, is that like, I feel like in some ways, I hope I'm not going to take it into left field with this. In some ways, you know, like you get, if you're an alcoholic who was a very social alcoholic, yeah. Um, you get kind of addicted to the lifestyle and get addicted to like hanging out in the bar and hanging out in the scene and having like mm-hmm, this fun mm-hmm, life, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Or fun, like quotation, air, sure. air quotes. Well, <laughs> yeah. The heroin addicts call it, do the same thing. They rip it and run it, they call it. Right. Rip right. it and run it. And I mean, I guess there's an element of that to, to crack cocaine, but the thing about crack for, for the majority of the people, it's like a, it's a, it's not a party drug, that's for no. sure. It's not like Mm-mm. cocaine where you're all like, woohoo, like doing like Yeah. No, like for most people, you're like in a basement, looking out the blind, super <laughs> paranoid, like, or looking out around the floor. That I wasn't really totally that. And at sure. the end, I learned how to be a little social with it. But yeah. it's not like this, oh my God, that was a blast last night. Like yeah. you would never say that after you spent $1,000 sure. in a crack house the night before and God knows what else happened while you were there. You yep. don't wake up in the morning and think that was fun. No. And so, it, so that's what's bizarre. It's bizarre. But what keeps you driven and going? And it's, it's the, the mental. It's, yeah. it, it's the I mental mean, yeah. part. Yeah. It is a it is a connection within your neurotransmitters that says it doesn't matter what the hell went down. Mm-hmm. I want to do it again. Yeah. That's how powerful it well, is. Even sometimes I would um I would have to go like on my lunch hour mm-hmm. to go like pay a debt, right? Because yeah. like I had pretty good credit around town because I was people knew that I had a job you know Mm -hmm. people knew that I could get the money tomorrow and if Mm -hmm. I said I would be back I would be back yeah and they would charge me like three times as much so like I was they saw dollar signs when they saw me walking Mm -hmm. because I would bargain with you all night so there would be days that I had to walk you know go on my lunch hour to go pay these people and I would promise myself all the way there, okay, I'm just going to leave. I'm not going to do – because I knew myself well enough to know that once I'm there, I'm not leaving. Like mm-hmm. That's that's never going to be my life. Yeah. Um, But I would promise myself that I wasn't going to do anything. And then as soon as I got there, I'd be like, okay, let me let me just have one. Because the mental takes over yep. and you're not able to walk out the door. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a lot of addicted um, patients that were – couldn't um, drive past the eight-mile sign on the freeway. That was just such a trigger for them. Yeah. You know, so I moved um, I moved out of town when I got sober. Yeah. Like after I got a treatment, I moved to Jackson, Michigan to go to a three-quarter house. Mm-hmm. And now my mom will say to me all the time, don't you think that's why you're sober today? Yeah. And like I used to be kind of offended by that because I'd be like, no, I'm sober because I have worked really hard. But, you know, I think about that sometimes. And I wonder if mm-hmm. I would have been in Detroit right after – if all of that would have been too much because, I mean, this is probably going to crack you up, but this is a true story. When I was in 
treatment, probably 90 days in, I actually wrote a letter to like all my friends at the crack house because I thought they'd be concerned to like know how I was doing because I missed them. You know, well, of course. Care. I mean, maybe a few of them probably did. Well, I'm care. sure they did. A few of them They're not did. insensitive but animals. Like that obsession, too, of like the life. I mean, so while I said at the bar, you get kind of obsessed and then like, but you do. It, it becomes like you're. You're being and you can convince yourself anything of why you have to go drive by the house. Yeah. And so I'm grateful that I got out of town a little bit. And I mean, I don't think that yep. that's a necessity. I think it's, you know, but I'm grateful that that was part of my story. Well, it's super important, though, that you change your surroundings. So when I have patients that absolutely cannot change their surround, yeah. they have to stay where they are. Mm-hmm. They, they somehow have hung on to a job. They have to live in the same home or whatever it may be. The first thing I say is get in there, change everything around. I try to get the families to do it before they even get there. Yeah. Move the room you used in, get rid of whatever furniture you can, at least repaint it and put it in another part of the For room. Sure. Paint the walls, new sheets new bedding or what move everything around make the house look different um i you know it's amazing when the family goes through and starts checking every cupboard every drawer mm. everywhere what what they find the things they never even thought of it before makes me cringe to think about what my family found it makes me cringe yeah yeah and it's you know it's it's tough. Mm. And that's where the shame and the guilt and all that shit comes in which is really hard because then again that makes you want to use because yeah. you can't face those emotions, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's another thing that, you know, I deal with all the time is the emotional part of it. Um, why, you know, we feel so bad. I mean, you know, sad or um, disgusted with ourselves or mm-hmm. shameful or whatever it may be. Or just, you know what, I think I felt just sad it happened. You know, I felt like I let myself down. I'm like, my God, that is just, why? how did it ever get to that point? Yeah. You know? Embarrassment, too. Mm-hmm. And like... Especially where you and I came from. Yeah. Even though, you know, it's running wild. Right. It's still a stigma. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, For me, I think it was about fear of like, if I can't be this person, who am I going to be? Because like I was so, I was the party girl. I was Mm -hmm. the good time girl. Mm -hmm. I was the person who always had the plan and always had the party and always knew and and that was my – it was my identity. Mm-hmm. So my problem – like my fear was if I can't be this funny drinker party girl, then then who am I going to be? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm still kind of the party girl. I just don't drink. Partake. Or, yeah. And I mean I don't – it's a different kind of party. I don't, I don't hang out in a lot of those kind of parties anymore. But mm-hmm. I'm still the girl who's going to have a dance party with my – with my six-year-old in the kitchen for 30 minutes because that's what's fun. Like I still like to find the joy and celebrate the joy. But today I'm actually celebrating the joy. Yes. And not the margarita. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, and that's another thing uh, that we need to talk about is um, the white knuckling it through your sobriety. Okay. The dry drunk, the, Mm -hmm. um, the person, okay, I'm not using, is everybody happy? Okay, I'm not using. Right. But you're not enjoying your life. You're right. pissed off. I think that's really important. Without a doubt. And I had a patient, um, he came in with his wife and she's been trying to get him sober forever and ever. And um, I said to him, I said, dude, let's be serious, man. You know, what's going on here? What do you want from all this? What do you want? If he is, as if he hasn't taken enough, I think he was taken off guard that I mm-hmm. would even ask him that. And he said, I just want to be able to do what I want to do. Mm. I want to be able to do what I want to do. Um, I want to be left alone. Um, I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's our answer. We can wrap yep, it up right wrap now. Wrap it up. Go I out said, and try some more. Absolutely. And I said, listen, when you're ready to get sober, here's my card. Come on in and see me. And his wife's like, well, wait a minute. 
wait a minute, yeah. you were going to fix him. I'm like, oh, honey, he's not ready. Right. He just told you and me, get open your ears and listen to what he's saying. I don't want to be sober. That's what that means. Right. So not me, not you, not anybody right. can make him until right. he is good, damn well, good and ready. Yeah, that's what they say. You know, when you're ready, everything's the answer. When you're not ready, nothing's the answer. I mean, yeah. I know that's, that didn't sound very eloquent, but, <laughs> but you know, sure. like, you know, when you're, when you're ready, the solution will arrive. And to be honest, I, I wasn't ready, mm-hmm. but I got ready, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. I knew the day that my dad came and picked me up and said, there's a bed for you, you know, in mm-hmm. three days. Yeah. And you're going to come spend the night with us. Like, get the dog, get the, you know. Mm-hmm. I was, I, I started to kind of be like, no, I, I, I mean, it's okay. And then I kind of like was like, okay. Because I knew I was about to get evicted. Mm-hmm. I, nobody was going to pay for my shit anymore. Yeah. I was getting cut off, which is finally like it took them a long time to learn. Like you're not helping by mm-hmm. like shelling out my rent money every month. No. So when I when I was beaten, I became, you know, willing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I became willing and then it started to feel right. And I thought, well, I guess I do want to change my life. But I really didn't think I wanted to, which is, you know, but I'm I'm grateful that I, I kind of saw the light in that. It. it, it- Absolutely. And then the other thing is that you look at is it isn't easy to get sober. I'm not going to tell anybody this is easy. It is easy in the only thing I'm asking of you is to don't pick up again. Right. Right. That's the only thing I'm asking of you. So it's easy in that respect. Right. But now what it means to you is that you have to do something about your life now. Right. So, and I truly believe that everybody has some kind of regret, something they haven't filled, something they haven't done Mm -hmm. in their life that holds them back, that keeps them sad, you know, that they need to start working on in order to get better. Once you solve that, well, you know, the world's your oyster. Yeah. Without a doubt. But so even when we can get people to get sober, you know, make the decision to try to get sober. Right. So we'll get to plenty of patients. My patient said this to me the other day. I'm almost at three months, Liz. And I'm like, yep, three months, but not three months in one day. Three months in one day. That's when you, I lose you again. So what are we, what's our, what's our game plan for three months in one day? Right. What are we going to do? How are you going to be able to hang on to this? He's like, I, I don't know. He, it's a different story. He's got all the answers, yet he doesn't follow through and he constantly relapses. So right. it's like we have to be diligent on what plan B is here so that we can get to four months. Yeah. You know, let's just look ahead that much yeah. or three months in two days, whatever right. it may be. Let's just keep looking forward. And so I think that, you know, um, he's painted his house, stuff like that. So that's helping, you know, trying to change things around. But he's yeah. alone a lot. And that makes me nervous. Yeah. That yeah. makes me you gotta, nervous. Well, and some people don't want to be connected. For me, the connections were key. Yeah. Finding really fun, sober replacements for as active as I used to be. That was really important for me. And at the beginning, it did mean changing every single person, place, and thing. Mm-hmm. And at the very end, you know, I have a group of girls who I've been friends with since I was 13. And mm-hmm. to this day, we are all, there's five of us, we are all still very close. Yeah. Um, I also have a huge community of sober friends that are, you know, equally as, imp- you know, very instrumental to my life as well. Nice. Um, my high school girls are all kind of spread out. So we don't, mm-hmm. we don't see each other all the time. But, um, I didn't even – none of them have drug problems or anything like that. But even them, I couldn't – I wasn't – well, I wasn't very connected with them before I got sober, you know, mm-hmm. for that last year or so because I was – nobody wanted to be around me. Let's just sure. Um, But 
everything did. I didn't have a job to change. Right. So Mm -hmm. but many years later, I guess this is what I'm trying to say. I had to change everything. Many years later, anything that was worth holding on to has come back to my life. Yeah. So those friendships that I had to change because they were not good for me or or maybe just uncomfortable for me. And to be mm-hmm. honest, I think my first couple of years of sobriety, people didn't know what to do with me because they didn't know what was okay, what wasn't okay. Yeah. Is it okay mm-hmm. if we drink? Is it not okay if we drink? Like, can we invite her to the party? Can we not invite her to the party? And mm-hmm. that changes for everybody. There's no script for that. No, right? there isn't. And um, I remember they all had this party. Like I got sober in September and I think it was like – I don't know. Maybe it was – I remember it was still warm out. But they had this like barbecue and there nobody drank. And that was a big deal. But I also had to tell them like, you guys, we're not going to live life like that. I have a yeah, friend who – Very sheepishly looking over yeah, at you. Is she having a meltdown? Yeah, Where I, is she? Totally. Yep, I know. Been through that. Um, and, and I mean my family never did that. Life went on. Nobody yeah. didn't drink because Julie was there. That is not the way my family rolls. And that's OK yeah, with me. That's right? OK with me too. Um, yep. But I have a friend who I've only known for uh, probably five years and he's become one of my very, very best friends. And mm-hmm. to this day, he has never had a drink in front of me. And okay. while I think that that's beautiful, I also think, babe, like you are not getting it. Like you are allowed to drink with me. If you want to have a margarita, have a margarita. Like this is – so I respect it and I like it. Yes. But I also think that he – I don't know if he thinks he's going to put me over the edge. Like, sure. Like my sobriety is stronger than that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can't expect people to not – like I'd rather you not have the chocolate cake when I'm watching my way than I care if you have a margarita. Right? You know, you know, but you and I are different, Julie. That's that's why you're here. That's why you and I get along well. That's why we have so much in common is you and I have benefited from our, our sobriety. A lot of people don't. Right, right. They're always looking for another fix for that. What would you accredit your benefiting from your um uh your your sober journey i mean i i myself if i'm talking about myself it was embracing every ugly thing that was upsetting me you know i mean it's on the outside nobody would have thought i was a basket case or a mess or how i felt inside mentally but it was more like i'm going to solve some of these issues that are bothering me and one of them was school i just was like i'm an intelligent woman i should have gone to college i should have gone to college why didn't i go to college and so that's what one of the first things i did you know, but I got a lot of shit for that. A lot of people were like, I can't believe you're going to go back to college at your age. What the hell? Why would you do that? <laughs> yeah. da, 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 da. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to listen mm-hmm. to you because, you know, misery likes company. And a lot of people you just, you know, aren't, aren't as happy for you as they should be. Right. You know, and not that it, I depend on anybody for my happiness, but for some reason, you and I got the memo that this was a great deal, that this is the way to go and turning back is not an option. Yeah. For sure. And I I wish that I had a simple answer for what do I accredit it to. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think for me, probably, excuse me, the Mm -hmm. self-searching, because I don't have that thing. I don't – I mean, I am now also in school, but – that didn't come till 10 years sober. You sure. know, like I didn't uh-huh. – that that came with the birth of my son. Came like I think I want to do something different with my life, mm-hmm. you know. So that wasn't a thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if anything was a thing, it was pretending that I loved myself when I didn't maybe. Yeah. Um, and trying to be somebody I wasn't and not like understanding like my truth. Like if mm-hmm. that makes sense because mm-hmm. it's, it's a tough question. But I think through um, working steps and mm-hmm. through really kind of – Understanding that what I what I think I know I don't know, and mm-hmm. I have to kind of start from ground zero and build mm-hmm. it up, and mm-hmm. really trying to 
um, like find joy, figure out what what brings me joy and what mm-hmm. really makes me happy, and mm-hmm. not like what other people think might make me happy. Yeah, I don't know if that if that is making sense, but no, it does. Um, it does make sense. I mean, I, I you know, for me, I don't know if it was a spiritual awakening or what you would even want. I'm very deeply spiritual, mm-hmm. very connected to the universe, and and um. I, I remember, I've, I've mentioned this on other shows. I remember being, and this was as early as being, I was in detox and release and I was there for like four or five days. I forget how long I was there, but I remember literally saying to myself, it was in the evening, which I always had drinks in the evening saying to my, and, and or suffering, you know, when, while I was there. And I remember the one night going, I think I'm, there's popcorn here. Hmm. I think I'm going to make some popcorn and I'm going to watch something on the television because everybody else was in bed. And I was like, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. I'm going to be, oh, I was like geeked up about popcorn. Yeah. I mean, I was for the first time ever. Totally. It's, it's the simple things that we didn't do before. I mean, people wonder like, you haven't seen that movie. And I'm like, listen, if it came out between 92 and 2005, I definitely haven't seen it. I did not have time to watch movies. I'm laughing so hard because my husband and I talk about that all the time. He's like, honey, you've seen this movie. I'm like, I must have been drunk (laughs) because it's the first time. This is awesome. There was no like Netflix and chill for me like i don't know sure i'm going out i'm gonna be out and then yeah yeah i'm running around i'm not watching movies well and like the simple things we do a couple years ago this is several years ago now but i shared like in meetings for for two weeks i was driving home from kroger and i stopped and got a mum i bought like a mum yeah yeah and i was like you guys i bought a mum because like a girl like me who was doing what I was doing sure. for all those years, I don't buy mums. I don't spend no. $60 on mums. But like today, I can like be like, oh, a plant would be nice. Oh, like, I know. That's like weird. That's like sure. not, you know. And sure. it still strikes me sometimes when I'm like walking around acting like a normal person. I'm like, whoa, look at me. I'm normal. Oh, oh, oh I know. It's taken me a while. But I know. I'm and it, and you're normal. right. It is the little things. It's the little teeny things that mean so much to your mental health. And those small little things that you do for yourself, like improving your environment, where you live, how you live, mm-hmm. buying little things for yourself, uh, managing your money, having a schedule, exercising regularly, um, all of those cheesy little things that your therapist in the all the experts in the hospitals yeah. and in rehab are telling you are for reals. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's the for, for sure. reals deals. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It it's the truth. Mm-hmm. I said to myself the other day, I hadn't worked out, and because I had that three weeks of that oh, horrible yeah, the, cough the and everything, crying. and mm-hmm. I, I I usually try to work out through it, and it makes me sicker. So I'm like, I'm not doing it. Sometimes you got to take a break. You do. You do. And I got on uh, <clears throat> the bike and bike like a psycho the other day, and I was going crazy. I uh, thirty minutes of this hardcore. These guys from the Global Cycling Network, or who I follow on YouTube, mm-hmm. and they're this dude's like up out of the saddle. Get down in the saddle. Get up in the saddle. My husband's like, I don't know how you do that. I'm like purple. And I'm like, but while I was doing it, I was like, I'm going to have the best day ever because I'm going to feel so good. Absolutely. I feel the same way when I wake up with a run. Yep. And I, even if I don't want to go, you lace up your shoes and you walk out the door and I feel so much better yep. for the rest of the day. And it, mm-hmm. it is a huge, and it wasn't, that wasn't part of my life until a couple of years ago. Yeah. I, you know, I, I struggled with my health for a long time in sobriety. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like it's starting to finally come full circle because I love myself enough that I understand that it's body, mind and spirit. Like yeah. it has to be everything. I sure. can't, I can't 
I got to treat myself like I love myself. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't every day. Like mm-hmm. I can't pretend like I do it every day because I no. don't. Mm-mm. But I'm so much better than I used to be. And it's becoming like a normal part of my life. Yeah. And and I want to um, in, uh, mention also, though, there's been times when I'm like, dude, I don't have it in me. Mm-hmm. OK, yeah. I just need coffee this morning and a shower. And I just want like want to watch Morning Joe. Yeah. OK, that's yeah. it. And get ready for work. That's all I have in me today. And you have to know when. That is. Yeah. I mean, you and I aren't deluding ourselves at, or the audience that, you know, today, you know, every day is this upbeat oh, day no. and we're mm-hmm. always having a good time. And, but I will tell you what, I have a hell of a lot more good times now than I ever had oh, getting for high. sure. And my level of sadness is different. Like, yes. I never, like, I was joking with, I, I don't know, you know, like the f- term, like FML, like we all know what mm-hmm. that stands for, mm-hmm. right? Should, I shouldn't say it, but like, F- you, FML. You say you anything know. you want on here. Um, <laughs> it's well, okay. you know, for, yeah. for virgin ears. But yes. like, I um, so I'm taking stats, statistics class mm-hmm. this semester at, you know, 45 years old. And it, it's killing me. I mean, it's really like, I, it is horrible and awful. So I found myself like in the beginning being like, FML, FML. And then yeah. I really had to like pause and catch myself and be like, how dare I? utter those words sure because you know what my life gets to look like so for me to be fml about a freaking stats class yeah like no time to get a pen write a gratitude list and be so grateful for the things that are in my life because fml should never as far as i'm concerned cross the lips of anybody who has recovered from drugs and alcohol well of course or or really anybody i mean let's be in gratitude and i don't mean that in a judgmental way i just Mm -hmm. mean to be like sister put it in a perspective because if you're I look at my life today and there should never be a reason for me to utter that that phrase. Without right? a doubt, because we do have a lot to be grateful for. I mean, I love my home and stuff. And now you and I are start, starting to sound like a couple of Pollyannas. Yeah, over we here. are. So but, let's, let's get dirty. <laughs> let's get, <laughs> the, the, it comes. I just want you to know, God, please hang in there because it will it does. come it, to you. But a big component about that happening for you is getting past the stigmas and the bullshit that we always listen to the other guy who's still loaded, still getting high, chipping on, on heroin or whatever they may be doing that's saying, oh, that's a bunch of fucking bullshit. Okay, man, you don't want to get involved in AA. Forget NA. It's a cult. It's mm-hmm. a this. It's mm-hmm. a that. Blah, blah, blah. And like I told you, so I am not an advocate for AA. I don't, I don't, you know, I, I, I mean, I am, I am behind AA. I am behind NA. It has a very significant purpose in this world, but you have to do something yeah. in order to change the way you think and feel. And a lot of people put this negative connotation to it. And in fact, it's super important. You need to be surrounded in a good environment around people right. that are going to help you. Um, you and I were talking earlier about this. I'm, I'm not a media outlet. I am Liz Reed. I am a psychotherapist. I have a small practice in Lapeer, which by the way, I'm going to open a second office, I think, down in Lake Orion. Nice. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I, I'd like to do that. Just get both ends of the mm-hmm. universe there and then mm-hmm. eventually kind of settle down there. So I'm just tossing that out cool. there for anybody who's looking for me. Cool. Anyways, but um, and Liz Life Guru is my passion of my wonderful spiritual journey that I've taken for all, all 17 years going into my 18th year now that has saved my life and my family's. I think that my happiness has bled over into my own own family. I think that it's helped them to feel better because several of my family members did get sober. I do have a couple that are um, addicted to pills. I will mention that, um, that from back injuries, mm. knee injuries, mm. and have gotten into opiates 
they're functioning. They haven't lost any jobs or anything like that. But definitely it has a huge impact on their life, you know. And I wish that I could help, but nobody wants to hear what I have to say. Right, you know, I'm right. the youngest sister. I try to say, they, they call me when they're in crisis. Right. And then I tell them what to do and they're like, click. Yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not what, I, I'm not going to tell you to keep using. Uh-huh. Okay. I'm going to tell you, you got to slow down. You got to do this or you got to do that in order to start feeling better. Mm. It's not instantaneous. It's a journey. And by the way, you take that journey alone. And, and, and it, it is, it's a private journey that you take alone. You can't be around surrounded by people every day. You can do as much as you can. That's where the meetings are super uber right. helpful. But a lot of times you're alone, alone with your own thoughts and you have to be able to manage them. Would you not agree right. with that? It's super important to be able to manage how you think and feel. And that's right. that mindfulness component to it, which is very cliche these days. Everybody throws it around. Right. But I don't think people really know what that means. It's well, about being aware. I don't think aware. I could get there if I didn't have like, mm-hmm. so what I was, Different from you a little bit is that I credit every single thing in my life mm-hmm. to Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, okay, so that um, it's I, whatever works. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I believe that Alcoholics Anonymous has taught me everything I know today, and I don't mean to sound like too weird about it, but like I'll explain. Like, yes, that when I came in, I needed like rules. I needed like you know a design for living. Like, Absolutely, I needed to say this is how you're going to do it, mm-hmm. and so I took that to be like the the answer. And like we said, call it a cult if you want to. I don't yeah. know. Like I'm drinking the Kool Aid. I've been drinking the Kool Aid for 14 years. I was chugging it at when I got sober. Yeah, yeah. Like, it is working for me, right? <laughs> sure. So, so I have learned how to be a mother, sister, daughter, oh, God, friend mm-hmm. in Alcoholics Anonymous. I met God in Alcoholics Anonymous, yeah. and by God I mean whatever your version of God is. It doesn't sure. have to be Jesus Christ. It's not. It's yep. whatever. It's yep. a, the higher power. But I didn't have any of that when I walked in the door, right? Mm-hmm. So by Working the 12 steps and, mm-hmm. and getting honest and admitting my mm-hmm. truths and admitting mm-hmm. what I had done and, and kind of forgiving myself. You know, that's a big part of the program yeah. is that you've got to, like, forgive yourself for all that crap that was behind you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and release the shame. Yeah. And, and make the amends and you do gotta all own that it. stuff. You got to own your shit. And, and for me, doing all that stuff made me whole. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. like they say, right, that you have to take out, you know, when we're using, we're, we're filling the hole. We all have this hole and we're all filling it with whatever it is, mm-hmm. heroin, cocaine, mm-hmm. alcohol, mm-hmm. fill in the blank. And when we stop drinking or just not or using or stop the substance, yeah, then we're left with a big, giant, gaping hole. Yep. So we got to fill it. So we got to take, put in what we took out. Right. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was like spirituality and the steps and working the steps and going through all of that process is what filled me back up and made me whole. Exactly. And so this is how I learned to have integrity. It's how I learned to be honest. It's how I have learned to be able to walk through life. And like, I like myself. Oh, without a doubt. You know, without and like, that's amazing. And for me, I don't know if I would, well, be here, be happy, be whatever, mm-hmm. if it weren't for AA. And I don't mind sharing that. And I don't mind sharing that at 14 years sober, I go to as many meetings as I can. Like, the semester's been rough. I am in, I mean, I definitely go once a week. I was yeah. at one last night. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to go three times a week. That's what I like to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, for one, I owe a debt, and I like to pay it back, right? So, yeah. like, for you, your debt is you you service a huge community. Yeah. For me, I don't, right? So mm-hmm. I pay my debt within the walls of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. Um, but I know I lost my train of thought. But uh, would I would I drink tomorrow if I stop going to A? I don't know. I don't yeah. think so. But I think mm-hmm. I'd be a lot less happy. 
because it's where I get my spirituality. It's where I get my Mm -hmm. dose of good health. And I just have so many people that I just love like crazy. Well, and that's the other thing. Everybody, okay, so the first meeting you go to, the first people that you encounter does not mean that that's the meeting you no, have to go to there's forever. there's a lot of bad meetings. A lot of bad meetings in NA or AA, but you will find the group that you kind of get with, that you get jiggy with, that you're interested in. You know, I know there's the early birds, the nooners, there's yeah. the late nights, the mm-hmm. middle of the, you know, the people have a lot of trouble around dinner time. They've mm-hmm. got something for everybody, no matter where it is. Just go and check it out. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're in charge and of your on. life. Talk to people. You For, know, yeah, I'm struggling. You can't just bow and go in and you got to Yeah, you got to open your mouth and say, "Hi, I'm new." Or, you, know, you know, and the good meetings will have people that know you're new because they're there every week, and so they know when you walk in the door that they haven't yeah. seen you before. Yeah, and you I know? think I mentioned, and you know, it's the structure. You know, we talked about the structure is super important because mm-hmm. you don't. When we're using, we don't have any freaking structure. It's like, am I like when I was catering? I'm like, am I going to do that party or am I going to have a hangover? Right. Am I going to this right. or am I going to be too hung? Yeah, what days it going to be? Oh, I can't up. do anything past five o'clock at night because I'll be drinking. I don't want to get a DUI. Mm-hmm. And you know what kind of life is? You know, it was amazing to me when I stopped drinking. I'm like, oh wow, I can go out past dark. You know, so I don't get a DUI. I mean, the structure is super important. If you were, um, you know. You know, and, and, and that's another thing. Like when I got sober, uh, my marriage was failing. His family was all over my ass. Mm-hmm. You know, they were really destructive to me. Um, I had a lot of trouble with his daughter and his ex-wife and all those things that drove me to drink were all right. still there. Right. All still there. Um, I, we didn't have any money in the bank. I was working job to job, that kind of thing. There was no structure in how I constructed my life, how I led my life day to day. Um, and that's what I needed. And so that's where school came in. That was really helpful because you can only drop off a kid to school so much and come home and sit there right. and go, what the hell am right, I going to do right, right, right. before you start getting, you know, really, mm-hmm. uh, too, uh, self-absorbed to in your own head. And there's a really wise uh, a woman I knew from the program forever who said, you don't want to be walking around up there all by yourself. Right, right. Uh, you know, it's a spooky place yeah, up there. Yeah. Um, if we're rattling off the 12 steps, forgive me, I will forget them. Okay. The first one is, it, and I'd like us to just quickly define to people what we think about the 12 steps. Um, okay. okay, so the first one is admitting there's a problem, powerlessness. right? Pa- yeah. Powerlessness. Yeah. Over God, I've never had to like recite that <laughs> before. Come on I, I now. I can, but oh my. <laughs> okay. Tall order. Okay. But, but I mean, that's true. Okay, so if we're talking about powerlessness, that means that you have no control over what it's going to tell you. Would you agree with that? Yeah, like you don't know what's going to happen if you take that drink. Yeah. You cannot no longer make any promises. Okay. Right? Yeah, Is you, that- sure. You can't make any more promises and the and also the fact that it um will control you no matter what your best intentions yeah. are yeah. if you do not bust some and ass. And I think the part of that too, the step first step is also, and that my life has become unmanageable. Oh, yeah. So like for me, that was a really big part. And it's also um important. Well, yeah. So like I'm powerless over alcohol and my life is unmanageable, meaning that like – because of alcohol, my life is shit, right? Yeah. And sometimes mm-hmm. people don't want to admit the second part of that. But, yeah. you know, if you can't hold a job and you're having trouble with your family and all that stuff, chances are, you know, that's kind of unmanageable. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's something going on there that isn't working out well for you. But in a lot of ways, people think that they can drink a little less, do a little oh, less. I absolutely. I mean, my whole first year, I thought I'm going to not drink for a year. 
And then so I can get the drugs out of my system. Yeah. And then after a year, I'll be able to drink like but only if I go camping or on a cruise. Sure. Only I, on Fridays. Well, yeah. Yeah. Or or like every and you know, like if you can do that, like, okay, then you maybe don't but I mean the other point is if you drink every Friday and Friday leads to Monday every single week, mm-hmm. You know, I think you need to look at unmanageability, For sure. right? So like, the, yeah, so then, so when we get rid of the alcohol, and we know the alcohol has been managing and taking over our life. There's step two, sanity, um, like, the sanity of yeah. it all. You know, um, to, we believing in a greater power than ourselves to help restore our sanity. And this, and the truth behind that is, we do need something else to fill that void. And right. we don't care if it's God, it's the universe, whatever it is, a higher power, whatever it may be. And I literally right. remember looking in the rearview mirror and saying, "God help me, I'm I'm going to die. I don't know what to do." Right. It's it's having something else to believe in, right. even that, if it's that yourself. You believe that it can be different. I think at the simplicity it's just that you simply believe that it can be different yes yeah without a doubt that i can do this that there's something more that i can do these it's all part of the structure right you need some form of structure living in chaos right for that long um step three is made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of god as we understood it you can take god out of that if you want i think the most important part of that step is as we understand Mm -hmm, right that doesn't mm -hmm. mean we kneel down and pray to jesus christ our lord and savior right like that is not what that says in fact can i can we pause to tell a story yeah so i was raised catholic uh, Catholic school, Catholic parents, super. I think we've covered that, right? Mm-hmm. When I got sober, I I wasn't anti God. I just I thought he was really mad at me, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, all of this language about you must, you know, AA says a lot of things like you must find him now. But again, they don't mean him. They mean something. You must yes. find something uh-huh. now, right? Mm-hmm. So I would hear, you know, I spent my first year, to be honest, kind of bullshitting my way through. Mm-hmm. I, like, was feeling a lot better than I had. But I hadn't really done a good job. I had worked the steps, like, buffet style and, like, yeah. a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And, like, I like <laughs> I that, like that. That's a good that. analogy. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. um, so the God thing made me squirm a little bit because yeah. I knew that I was supposed to, as this nice Catholic girl, mm-hmm. I, well, <laughs> it was not very nice, but, like, as this girl with this strong Catholic upbringing, I was supposed to have – like certain beliefs. Mm-hmm. And I remember like right before I got sober, I was in this new apartment and one of my family members gave me this crucifix, which just like all Catholics, you know, you're supposed to hang on your sure. wall somewhere. And I remember taking it and like wrapping it up in like paper. I mean, like towels and blankets and like sticking it like as far back in the closet as I could possibly put it mm-hmm. because God did not want to see what was going on in that apartment. Right? Yeah. So – um, so when I'm sober and I'm talking about how I'm praying, I'm I'm lying, right? Because yeah. I don't really – I was kind of saying prayers, but they mm-hmm. didn't – I didn't know what to do. Yeah. So I finally had this this thing where like my my sponsor told me like write down all the words that, that mean God to you. Like what are things that you would like your God to be? So like reliable and friendly and like mm-hmm. it never occurred to me that I could have my own conception of God. Like sure, that never of occurred course. to me, right? Mm-hmm. So I would start thinking about this, and I kept thinking about George Burns. Yeah, from he was like the best. yeah, like because he had those like oh, oh god, god movies, yeah, they which were I so always good. really loved. Yeah, and so I started thinking about this friendly god that was like a grandpa, and then I would think of him sitting on my bed at night saying, "How'd you do today, kid?" Sure. And then that gave me, I know it sounds silly because mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't pray to George Burns, but like yeah. it gave me this idea that like 
God is friendly. God is kind. Mm-hmm. And God is human. I mean, not sure. Him, but, you know, like sure. – And then the idea of like walking hand in hand on the broad highway, you know, mm-hmm. like became like, oh, OK. So I can rely on this much more relatable – Source. Sure, absolutely. And my mother used to always say when my my and she grew up in Catholic schools her whole life. I mean, she was born in 1926. So right. I mean, and she was in the Catholic Church all the time. And mother used to always say to me, "God has a sense of humor. Oh, don't yeah. worry about that. God has right. a sense of humor." And my husband, if we're speaking about my husband, he believes that God is a woman. Okay, he said, and a creator. And so, nice. how could a man do that? And right. That's he firmly hey, believes ma'am, that. Whatever you yeah, want. and I'm like down with the universe. You should see my altar. I got all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I got like, like holy water. I've got a Buddhist. I don't have to put it in a box. I got a Hindu statue. Nice. Yeah. I, love I got it. all kinds of different stuff in there. Um, of course, we're going to run out of time, but I did want to mention these la- uh, two of these other steps that I think are really important for people that they get so freaking hung up on four and five. Mm. Taking a moral inventory of ourselves. Okay, so clearly identifying who we are, what we're up to, and what we've done, and then five admitting to ourselves the nature of the wrongs of others. Well, ourselves and another person. Yep. And like the, I think the really big part about four too is. Uh, like those resentments, those things that, you know, we come into the program or we get sober and we think everything's everyone's fault. Yeah. I did that because I had a bad boss. Yeah. I did that because I had a bad husband. My mom did this to me. Yep. So we're going to write all that stuff down and we're going to talk about it and we're going to process it out, mm-hmm, right? And we're mm-hmm. going to figure out what it is about us that makes us hate everybody who ever succeeded more than us in our life. Yeah. And like what those character defects are mm-hmm. that come out of that, right? Mm-hmm. And then when we discuss it with somebody else – we start to see patterns. We start to see how our thinking has led us astray. We start to see how we're not really the victims that we thought we were all these years. Yep. And that we start to see our part, right? Sure. Like, what was my part? How did I get the ball rolling? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, mm-hmm. what? Well, like, that person's mad at me. Well, because you stole $45 out of their – or $450 or whatever it sure, is. Like, absolutely. So you've had this story about how the world's out to harm mm-hmm. you. And really, no, you you got the ball rolling. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, when you're dealing with a victim mentality, that is hard to shake because that's yeah. what I had. I had a total victim mentality. A, B, C, D, E, F, G is going on and blah, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. And it right. was. Right. There was a lot of shitty things going on in my life. But I was letting it consume me and I was letting the alcohol, which was my Band-Aid, consume me as well. Right. So I – I was the one hurting myself. I was allowing everybody to hurt me. And yes, you know, we're not making light of anybody and what they've been through in their lives. It's about allowing it to continue to control you. Right. And that is what some of the help uh, of structure of AA, the program, NA, whatever it may be, whatever you find yourself in is so invaluable. And so we were talking about like at the beginning of the show is, you know, what are our triggers around the holidays? Okay. I think we have this huge idea that we're supposed to be uh, spent with all our, uh, you know, granny and grandpa are dead. You know, my mom's, uh, you know, half-assed. Uh, dad's gone. Um, we don't, are not in the same home anymore. I've got a new stepfather. I've got an aunt who's crazy. Whatever it may be, we spend our time with these people and we don't do something for ourselves. Now, who is to say that that's the way it has to be? No way. 
And and that's a huge trigger for people. Yeah. Yes, it is sad. It is sad. I do get I I get sad around the holidays. I think about my mom because I love my mother so intensely and so much. You know, I miss her so much because she that was her time to decorate in Christmas. Mm-hmm. So I decorate and I think about her. I get a little sad. That's okay. But I sure as hell wouldn't pick up. I a mean, drink. it's okay to shed some tears around the holidays. It for is those that you know, like mm-hmm. uh, is it have yourself a merry little Christmas? Is that the one that's yeah. like if the fates allow? Like oh god, the fates. <laughs> Oh, like, <laughs> there's some there's some gut wrenchers. Like, yeah. what is that um, Christmas song? John Lennon and in War. What is oh, that? Oh yeah. P, uh, oh. So so um, have a merry little Christmas. Y- well, and yeah. His is happy. So here's Happy Christmas. Uh, yeah, yeah, something. Whatever the heck. Yeah, I sob like, every time I oh, hear God, that song. So many of them. You know. Yeah. But like, but then you put it into perspective and you get up and you like do something happy and do something for somebody else. You know, get out yep. of yourself. Like when you're having those days. If you're feeling glum and don't po- like, isolate, no, get out, call somebody, like mm-hmm. call somebody who you know is having a problem. Get out of yourself. Call somebody and don't talk about yourself. Ask how their day is. You know, that's well, yeah. something I was always taught. So when you don't have any family left, when you don't have any friends left, when you don't have anybody to talk to, which a lot of people find themselves in, don't isolate and use again. Get your ass to a meeting, to a refuge center, wherever. Right. You know, like we said, there's 24 hour meetings. Going and on, on Christmas, Pe- there's usually they have alkathons. I mean, there's yeah. there, there is something going on, and there are people that care, and you do not. There's no reason to be alone. Mm-hmm. There isn't any reason to be alone except for yourself, right? They're strangers. I don't know them, and that's I think something that we're trying to communicate here is there. You need that camaraderie, mm-hmm. and yes, you're going to meet an asshole in there. There's a few here and there. You are that may be like, oh, you know, what's your deal? Yeah, How there much are time people who are batshit crazy. There yeah. are also people who are amazing. Wonderful, beautiful people. And Mm -hmm. I think there's more people like that. Yeah, there is. And sometimes you have to, you know, just, you know, it, it seems odd that, you know, when we're in our addiction, you know, I always, you always have that one crazy friend who will still get high with you, right? Yeah. Oh, totally. (laughs) Okay. That's fine. That's fine. You'll hook up with them. You'll talk to them. You'll hang out with them. But yet you won't do that when you're sober. You won't find the one person who is sober that you can hang out with. And for me, especially at my age, it's difficult finding somebody that wants, that doesn't drink or get high. Right. Well, you know, you, you know? always have me. I know. Thank you. You're so <laughs> sweet. And it, but it's, you know, and that's another thing. I'm going to go by my house on Trombley. I'm going to my sister's after this. Okay. And that's going to make me cry because that was my favorite house forever. Yeah. I love that house it's so good much. Street. It is a good street, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And what points right down there to yeah. walk. Anyways, <laughs> side note. We did our long run through Rose Point Park a couple weeks ago and it was like, oh, so good. <laughs> yeah. That's oh, I, running. I got to give you credit for that. Thanks. But well, you do it. Slowly. You need... Running slowly. I have a bionic knee, you know. Oh, I have a like, knee replacement no in my left you. knee. No, yeah. no. But it's like a miracle. Yeah. It is an absolute miracle. I think the point that we're trying to make <clears throat> is that you have to do something, whether it's structure, um, getting to meetings, not getting to meetings. You have to be, acknowledge your triggers. What would you What would you say about your triggers? Is there anything that you can think of that is a trigger for you in the beginning when you were first getting sober? I think the social life of thinking that I had to have something to, I mean, I think breathing is a trigger, really. It's yeah. like, you know, waking up in the morning was a trigger. So I think that just learning that and for years, I had to stay away from the bar. I could not go to the bar sure, right away. That absolutely. wasn't the right place for me. Mm-hmm. And now now I can go. But I, I don't go a lot because I don't belong there every weekend. I no. spent a lot of time in bars this weekend. Mm-hmm. And that was that was enough probably to last me several weeks, if not yeah. <laughs> months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because I don't like to be around those people. I Like, 
I, I might get FOMO, like fear of missing out, right? Yeah. But then I realize, no, I'm having just as much fun and more because I'm present. So I don't yes. know. I don't. I. I mean, in the beginning, I definitely had triggers of just um, feeling like I was missing out or feeling mm-hmm. like they were doing. But I also was able to play that tape through and realize that yeah. that's not what it looks like for me. I'm not gonna be jovial and cheering my glass. I'm gonna be sitting in the basement of a crack house. Yes, in reality, and um, that's to say, I'm not telling you know, like exposure therapy is super important, but not in crack cocaine. No, no, <laughs> no we're not gonna do that. And I mean, I but, think that you don't go to the bar if you don't have a safety net to go, and sure. there, and you don't have a valid reason to go there. Yeah, you know, you don't need to go to someplace that doesn't sell food. I mean, I went through a phase, I'll admit this. When I first started dating Gordon, we could still smoke cigarettes in some of the bars. Yeah. Uh, you weren't supposed to, but there was a couple. Yeah. And uh, I knew a bartender and I was smoking at that time. I was many years, seven, eight years sober. And I found myself stopping in there because I didn't smoke in my house. So I would stop in there to like have a couple cigarettes with the bartender. Mm-hmm. And I realized after a couple, no, I, I don't belong there. I don't belong in a bar that doesn't sell food just for like the Not atmosphere. a good idea. No way. Not no a good way. idea. Not, I don't care how sober you are. Mm-hmm. Like if you're doing that too much, there's probably something you need to look at, in my opinion. I agree. Totally with that. Um, that, But, you know, exposing yourself to these situations, working through them, seeing the chick who's drunk at the end of the bar and wishing to God, thanking God that it's not yeah. you and you haven't made an ass of yourself. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, in reality, when I look at a lot of people that have been drinking, I feel sorry for them. Mm-hmm. I see what, you know, and plus I'm a therapist, so I'm right, constantly right. psychoanalyzing <laughs> everybody. everybody. I'm always <laughs> like, oh God, they're a mess. They don't mm-hmm. even realize that he's having an affair and she's right. a slut and... Uh, <laughs> I keep not all this that you're to judgmental. myself. No, not at all. God forbid. No, I keep all that to myself. Sure. Okay, but you know what I mean. It's it's. But I do. I feel bad for people because there's such a better life out there. I think that's the point we're trying to make today. In this holiday season, you know, we've got Christmas and New Year's coming up, and um, it's not worth it. It's not worth it thinking you're not going to fit in because if you're on the outside, the empowerment of looking at everybody who may be loaded and that thrill that they're having that lasts maybe 45 minutes to an hour turns into a nightmare. Right. It's about taping, uh, playing the tape through, realizing at the end you're going to be back in the dope house. You're going to ruin all that time you had sober. It's never the solution. It's never the solution. It is just more of the problem and more of the same. Um, And, you know, make it about the things that bring you joy. And honestly, if you're early in sobriety, and your family doesn't bring you joy, you got to have the boundary to like go somewhere else. Find your own tribe. That yeah. is my that is my motto. Find your own tribe who thinks like you, lives like you, loves like you do. And if nobody supports it, move on. You have mm-hmm. to. Just because Absolutely. you were born into a family doesn't mean you have to put yourself right. through it, right? Right. Um, Jules, thanks for coming again. I appreciate thanks. it, thanks honey. For You're me. the bomb. Merry Christmas, Merry Jessica. Christmas. Merry Christmas, love. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas to everybody out there. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram, and do me a favor. Be good to yourself. Um, I think we're way too hard on ourselves. You got to love yourself. You got to do your very best and be proud of yourself. Uh, From my heart to yours, namaste. We're going to be playing uh, my uh, outro, which is from my brother Danny called um, Get Your Ass Off the Couch, because I think that's a little bit about what we all need to do. (laughs) Take care, everybody. Namaste. Merry Christmas.